0: Well, I don't know what your plans for today are, but as a kid, for me, I, I loved the weekends. I loved when there was no school. Well, for most of you guys, there's no school now, but it's coming. Just don't want to burst your bubble, but you got to go back. And, you know, it was just those days where you could just lounge around, kind of have fun, and, and really do nothing. And I remember I, I, we would go to church, come home, and grab the comics. Anybody like that? Oh, yeah. So, I had three siblings. So, I, I got like one side of the half sheet, you know what I mean? And so, I had to share, and we'd be like, are, are, are you done yet? Are you done? Can, can are you done? Can I switch? And so we'd have to switch around and, man, great comics like Calvin and Hobbes. We'd be sprawled out on the floor just just having some fun reading our comics. Uh, Peanuts, Hagar, B.C., anybody? Anybody fans? Okay, yeah. And Any other ones? Garfield? Beetle Bailey. Beetle Bailey, there you go. Good old Beetle Bailey. But, you know, I had this one favorite. And, and it's a, it was a little weird because it's not the usual, you know... Uh, chuckle at the end sort of thing. It was the Phantom. And he, you know, the the guy with the, the pink, uh, purple outfit, you know, and the mask and, and the ring that made the mark every time he punched somebody. I thought, that is cool. I need one of those rings. I never got one. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it wasn't just that chuckle at the end. It was a story. It was kind of... Uh, it, it took you through this, this process, and, and it wanted, it, 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 its desire was to bring you back next week, to bring you to that point where you say, man, that was really neat, but the story is not over yet. I'm not done yet. And you know, sometimes some of those weeks were a little slow. Like, there'd be this, uh, this time where he comes into the woods, walks around all day, and then goes to bed, and you're like... Okay, that was a little disappointing, but then there was those, those weeks when like everything happened. It was like a whole book in three panels. It was amazing. I, I didn't understand how they could do it, but it was so exciting and so uh, story-like. It was amazing. Well, that's what we're going to kind of talk about today, is the story of your life, seen kind of through the eyes of three different panels. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, what would your comic strip look like? What events would you have that would kind of define what's going on in your life? You know, not all of the comics are funny, right? And sometimes in our life there are events that are not always funny in our lives. So what would those panels look like? What events in your life would make it onto the page? What stories would characterize your life? What events would change the direction of your life or your comic forever? And as we, we look at our story, we're also going to look at Paul's story. And uh, I'm going to kind of look at it in, in, the, in three different panels. The first panel is the lead panel. And then there's the change panel and the cliff panel. The lead panel reminds us of where we've been. The change panel is, is the events that change everything. And the cliff panel kind of creates that anticipation for what's coming next. And that's what a good storyteller will do. They'll, they'll get, catch you up to date, change something about the story to, to uh, you know, challenge you, and then they'll build a sense of anticipation for what's coming next. So we're going to look at uh, the, the, the theme of our comic strip, is how to be right with God. What's your story? And we're going to look at Paul's story in Philippians chapter three and how he came to be right with God. You know, everybody has their own idea about what this story should look like. And uh, in Philippians chapter three, in the beginning part, Paul warns about three different groups that that are um, uh, trying that have their own ideas about what it means to be in a right relationship with God. He says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. He says, Watch out, there are people out there who have their own ideas about what it means to be right with God. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you what God has planned for your life. He tells his story. In order to understand uh, Paul's story in light of these panels, you have to understand the way things were in his life. It's the lead panel where his story has been and where your story has been. Let's look at verses, uh, the, the middle of verse 4 through um, verse 6. It says, If anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. When Paul speaks about having confidence in this in the flesh, he speaks from a culture that was supposed to know what it took to have a correct understanding of God, to have a correct relationship with God. They would obey uh, laws, ritual laws, as well as uh, social and, and uh, ethical laws to meet the requirements of what they thought it took to make God happy with them. It was a a self-accomplishing righteousness. It was, I can be right with God by doing this, this, and this. And if I can check those off, man, I'm doing good with God. Paul says, you know what? If you've done enough that you think God is happy with you, I can top it. (laughs) That sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? Man, I'm better than you. If, if it was all based on what we've done, I've got it covered. And he, he tells about his resume. He, he tells about this impressive heritage that he has that should have made God happy. At least that's what everybody thought. His family wasn't just religious. They were dedicated. In, verse, in the beginning of verse 5, you see that, that he was circumcised the eighth day of the... Uh, um, in the, of the nation of Israel. He was a chosen member of the nation of God. It was a symbol of, of being set aside, set apart as a people, as, a, as, a, as individuals to God, to say, God, here I am. I'm yours. I'm set apart. Not only that, but he grew up in an environment of daily religious instruction, you know, the, the, the young people would, would go to, to uh, synagogue every day to learn and grow about what God's Word said. So he was proud of that fact. He was proud that he had that accomplishment. He could check that off on his list. Not only that, but his family was from the right pedigree. It says that um, in, verse, in verse 5, it says, "...of the stock of Israel." He, wasn't, um, he was a pure breed. He was fully Jewish. And that was a point of pride. That was a point to say, Man, uh, there's, there's been no other nation that's come into my heritage, into my lineage. I am fully Jewish. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the twelve tribes that was, that was well-known and well-respected. Saul, the first king of Israel, was a Benjaminite. And so he could say, Man, I am a Benjaminite I, I know what it is to be Jewish. I've got that covered. He was a leader in the right religious circles. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was saying, I am the man's man when it comes to religion. I know all about what it, what it is to be Hebrew. He was well respected. He was a Pharisee. You know, if, if you were uh, back in that time... And you wanted to know about God, you would go to a Pharisee. They were the ones that were teaching, supposed to be teaching, what God had for the people. And so, if you looked at, at Paul, he had a checklist right here that, you know, of, of goods, even of greats. Man, he had more checks than anybody around. Not only that, but he was passionate about his beliefs. If you look at verse 6, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He wasn't timid about uh, the truth that he believed. He, he went so far, he did everything in, in his power to stop those that he thought were not obeying God. The ones that he despised most were those who were proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the, uh, the long-awaited Messiah, those who were part of the church. So he had such passion, such zeal for his religion that it came to persecution. And he was ready to do it. You know, this was a man who was on the top of his game. And he was sure that his heritage and his religious standing were going to make God smile, make God so proud. There's my kid. There's his check marks. Man, he's got one more, but he's almost there you know, let, maybe let's take it out of a, a religious context. Say you're going for a job interview, and, you know, you have your resume in hand, and, and really you're well qualified for the job. You have a financial background, which means you're well suited for the position, and your work history is a picture of hard work. You've taken nothing for granted, and uh, even, even your references have said, you know what, I'm going to give you such a glowing report that if you don't get this job, Nobody'll get it. you are that good he, they're, they're going to tell this employer, man, this guy has turned our financial situation from a place of of losing money to oh, man, now we're raking in the money. we're doing great in our business uh, you've you've been featured in Forbes magazine as the CFO for t- uh, CFO of the year for two years in a row. so you have these check marks that that you check off, check off, check off. Oh, I'm good. I'm ready for this job. And you're looking pretty good until you see Steve Forbes of Forbes magazine handing in his resume. And you say, might as well forget it. Compared to him, what am I? I'm nothing. That's what those who lived around Paul felt like. I might as well forget it, because he's got it. This is, this is, this is the, the epitome of awesomeness in the Gentile nation, I mean in the Jewish nation. What about you? What's your story? How does your story relate to this? Where have you been? Do you come from a Christian home? Maybe you've been taught Bible stories from, from the time you were born. Maybe you can count on one hand the times that you have missed a worship service. Maybe you've read through the Bible five times this year alone. And, you know, the, the detailed, well, we don't have one, but the detailed map of, of Israel and the Mediterranean and the surrounding nations and all the lakes and rivers and his color code and everything, you drew it. <laughs> Those maps in the back of the Bible, that's your handiwork. <laughs> or maybe you're not very religious at all, but... You know, you'd do anything for anybody. If a stranger needed a hot meal, you would be the one to cook it and put your finest china out for them. You would... Uh, there was no, lady, no old lady in your neighborhood that ever walked across the street without someone on their arm, and it was you. You were a helper. You were awesome. And, you know, you, I, I, you can say, I'm doing good things all the time. And, you know, if there is a God... He's got to see that I'm a good person. He's got to see that that I'm trying, at least. What about you? Are you someone who says, you know what, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. I've messed up my life. There have been so many things that I've done wrong. But I want to strive to be one of those people above. One of those people who really is working hard, really, you know, pleasing God with what they do. They have all the check marks. We're with Paul, aren't we? We, we? we like this idea of resume building. We like looking good. And we're well on our way to happiness, or, or so we think. You know, we feel pretty fulfilled, and, and after all, Paul seems to have a great life. He was well-respected in his, in his community. But that's when the next panel changes everything. It's the change panel. It's where your story is with Christ. Let's look at Philippians 3, verse 7 through 11. It says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conform to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is amazing. He, he counted all of his accomplishments as wasted. Look at that again in 7 and 8 and see how he repeats himself. He says... Uh, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Okay, that's a statement, right? Verse 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says the same thing again. Then he says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all... Paul, we get the idea. But what is he doing? He's putting an emphasis on it. He's saying... Look, pay attention. I'm going to say this three different ways and I want to make sure that you get this. I want to make sure that you grasp this because this is what it's all about. All these check marks, nothing. It means nothing. He counted all of his accomplishments as wasted. You know, a a good bookkeeper will be able to tell where his company stands financially, right? And if you opened up the pages of Paul's ledgers, you would have seen all those revenues, all those check marks that he had laid out earlier. You would see that they were deleted. And not only that, but they were put on the expense side. They were considered loss. I have uh, two and a half classes left until I finish my degree. Whew. But imagine if I said to Patty, "Patty, you know what? I have decided I want to be a stay-at-home husband. I'm not going to take any more classes. I'm done. I'm done." What do you think she would say to me? <laughs> what do you think she would do to me? Maybe the the better question. You got to be kidding me. All that time, all that effort, all that money put aside in order for me to accomplish something, is lost. The, the we could have's come to mind. We could have bought a car. We could have spent more... Well, she might not want to spend more time with me after I told her that, but we could have spent more time together. That time is lost. We could have lived in the mill. Man! <laughs> but now, all of that is lost, and we're ultimately put at a disadvantage. And you know what, that, that illustration breaks down in here because there's a gain. There's something that happens because of that loss. And we'll look at that in a second. But Paul found out, just like we do, that seminary does not make us spiritual. It doesn't give us a right standing before God. Those things that we check off and we say, Man, I'm doing good here. I'm doing good here. I'm being really nice to my wife. I'm I'm being nice to my kids. I'm doing good things for other people. It doesn't matter. It only matters after when our focus is on Christ. The things that we have been hoping that would make God happy, that would make God smile, it doesn't happen. Because only Christ has that ability. Only what Christ did for us on the cross and us accepting that gift can make God smile. Not only that, He is overjoyed because He loves us so much. You know, you, you can read more about Paul's story and, and how this has taken place in Acts 9. And we're not going to look at that passage today, but, but maybe later on today, after you read your comics, take some time and look at Acts chapter 9. See how how... He was turned from uh, his, his trusting in his accomplishments to understanding the value of a relationship with Christ. Look at verse 9. It says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. He understood the value of a relationship with Christ. Uh, Paul, uh, Jesus explained this idea in a parable. In Matthew chapter th- uh, 13, verse 44, he says this. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. I'd like to find one of those, huh? Is there one on the property? Anybody find any? <laughs> Which a man found and hid again. and from joy over, uh, And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. This man has decided to give up all of it. He says, I am going to take every penny from my paychecks. I'm going to take all the equity that's in my house. I'm going to sell it. Every piece of furniture is is gone on Craigslist. Put it out there, sell it, get rid of it. I need this piece of land. Every, uh, Every lamp, every table, everything he had to sell. He even had to break open that piggy bank he had since he was two, putting his money in. He had to give up everything. If we stopped there, that'd be kind of sad, wouldn't it? He doesn't have anything left. But you know what? Do you know how he goes to buy that property? With joy. He is so excited, and you would be too. Imagine if it's worth it. He knows it's worth it. He's seen the treasure. He's seen the immensity of the wealth that he will have. But it costs something. He had to give up everything that he had right now in order to get that land. Why? Why? Because he knew that it was worth so much more. he understood, Paul understood the value of a relationship with Christ. He also found true purpose in his identity. Look at verses 10 and 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conform to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. He said, uh, I am no longer known as Paul, the teacher, the Hebrew of the Hebrews. I am known as the one who died with Christ and is raised with Christ. My identity, my whole being, is found in Christ. Let's look at that again. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Oh man, that's awesome, isn't it? The powerful greatness of Christ rising from the dead. Paul wants to be a part of that and the fellowship of His sufferings. makes me flinch a little bit, doesn't it? Being conformed to His death. But why? So that I can have that resurrection. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. And this is Paul speaking again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It's not me making my own decisions, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, the life that's happening right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have a purpose in our identity in Christ. What about you? What's your story? Do you have uh, preconceived ideas about what God requires of you? Do you have a checklist that, that you feel like, i got to take care of this, 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 and this. And then, oh, I'm well on my way. I'm doing good. What about uh, uh, all the good deeds that were going to outweigh your bad deeds on a scale that you believe that God had in heaven? Well, this scripture says that all your good deeds are going to go on the lost side. So where does that leave us? Huh. <laughs> A little out of balance, right? Maybe you've made certain decisions in your life, life based on what you thought would make you successful. And maybe God is asking you or, or has asked you to set those things aside because He has greater things in store for you. Matthew four eighteen through 20 is a, the story about uh, the fishermen, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And Jesus comes to them and says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And you know what they did? They followed him. But you know what's interesting? If you look at that passage, it's interesting what they left. They left their nets, their livelihood. In the case of of, uh, James and John, they left their father. And actually, their father was standing in the boat In the same boat they were standing when Jesus came up and said, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Can you imagine what that would do to his dad's business? Here you have your muscle leaving to follow Jesus. But you know what? They discovered that Jesus was of more value than anything. He was their priority above everything. They gained a relationship with God. And then their loss didn't seem so much like a loss anymore. Something amazing has happened. Things are different now. There's been a change. And the question at the end of your story is, what happens next? How does this event transform the rest of my life? We're on the edge of our seats of this cliffhanger. What's the future going to look like? We've put our faith and trust in Christ. Where is your story headed now? That's in Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14. It says, not that we have already attained or am already perfect, But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press forward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul has a a great way of repeating himself. We saw it earlier. Uh, when he was talking about the loss and gain. But he does it again here. Look at it again. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. That's a statement. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus, Jesus has also laid hold of me. Here comes the repeat. But I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Here's another repeat. I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you think he's trying to get a a, a point across? First, he says, I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing forward. It's not me. It's Christ. He doesn't say that he's no longer going to make bad decisions. He doesn't say that that he's without sin. He he says, I'm going to deal with it and leave it behind. I'm going to put it behind me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. God's desire for us, for our lives, is that we not sin. That we not do those things that we know is wrong for our lives and an offense to God. But this is what he says, And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous says, I'm going to put it behind me. I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to look back. I want to press forward. I want to grow in Christ. Not only that, but he was eager to fulfill the plan that Christ had for his life. Isn't that amazing? Christ had a plan for his life that was better than his own plan for his own life. You know, when I think about the plans for my life, Man, we can put some dreams out there, can't we? We can say, this is where I want to be. And we may, you know, we think realistically, I'm probably going to fall short of that, but I'd love to be here. That would be amazing. The plans that Christ has for our lives is better than what we can imagine, is better than what we can dream of. He has a plan for my life. He has a destination that he wants me to reach. In uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for his good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is the purpose. This is the plan that God has for your life. And he's going to get you there. Verse 29, here's what the purpose is. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. That's God's plan for our life. We may not know all of the things that that includes. That's kind of the suspense, the cliff. What's going to happen next? Where are we going? But we do know the end. We do know that God desires us To be conformed to the image of his son. Just like Jesus treated people, that's how I want to treat people. Just like Jesus talked to God, that's how I want to talk to God. Just like Jesus, that's how I want to be conformed to the image of his son. Am I reaching for that goal? Is it my purpose and goal in life to be conformed to his image? That's God's plan for us. The men and women who serve our country have been given a great task and a difficult task. But they're focused and they're not going to stop until that goal is reached. And they've been given everything they need in order to accomplish that goal and they're determined. Their goal is in sync with the ones who sent them. But they have not set the agenda. They are not the ones that are telling themselves where to go. They just have to go. Christ's purpose for Paul's life and Paul's purpose for Paul's life were identical. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? To be on the same page with God? It wasn't Paul who was setting the agenda, it was Christ. What about your story? What about you? Are you trying to set the agenda for your life? Are you trying to map out exactly where God wants you and what God needs for you, but you're kind of a step ahead instead of a step behind or stepping with? Is your life moving according to His agenda? Are you even aware of his, what His agenda is? Are you searching for it? Are you seeking after it? Are we sitting Are you telling others about the story that God has prepared for you? Man, what a great way to share your testimony. You tell about where your life has been. You can tell about the change that Christ has brought in your life. And you can tell about what God is going to do in your life in the future and what He's doing right now. Are we telling that story? Because God has prepared a plan for that person as well. For the person that you're going to tell your story to, God has a story for them. And maybe you're a part of it. Maybe you get to be the one that helps them to see the change that Christ is going to bring in their lives. Does anybody know how many nations there are in the world? Just an estimate, a guess. Five? (laughs) No, I think I can count five. There's almost 200. There's... 192 to 195, it depends on which expert you ask. That's kind of silly to me, but, but do you know how many ethnic groups there are? An in, in ethnic group is, is a group of people that identify with each other through language, through customs, through history, through a number of different things. Do you know how many ethnic groups there are? Five? No. Two hundred? More? More? Okay. Uh, 5,000. Is that about right? There's 16,600. There's actually more than that. 16,600 different ethnic groups in 200 nations. As far as we know, as far as we're aware... 41.3% of all ethnic groups have never heard the gospel. They've never heard the story of Christ. They've never heard your story. Of those 16,000 ethnic groups, 7,000 have never heard your story. The story of Christ. In the 1950s, there was a group of missionaries that had such a passion to share their story with those who had never heard. Those 7,000 people groups, they went to share with one of those groups. And this group was known for their violence. But you know, they thought, man, this is so important that they understand what Christ has done, what He wants to do in their lives, the change that He wants to take place in their lives to create in them, a desire to be conformed to the image of God. And so they thought they had a a chance to tell their story of what Christ had done for them. But five of those men were killed. They were speared to death. And one of those that died, his name was Jim Elliott, he said this. And listen, it, it parallels what Paul is saying. He says, He is no fool to give... He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. They were not able to keep their lives. You know what? These missionaries gave up everything. They gave up their, their house, their car, their belongings. They gave up everything to find this treasure. It looks like... They gave up everything for death. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. How many people consider them fools? Man, you could have a great life here in the States. You could do so many things. You could could open your own business. It's the American dream. But we can't keep it. We're powerless to keep it. You can be killed in the United States just as easily. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. They, they came with the story of Christ. And they knew the power of that story was beyond anything. Anything that they had ever heard, and they knew these people would ever hear. Several of those family members who had their husbands, their fathers killed, went back (laughs) to that people group and wanted to share the story of Christ's forgiveness. Can you imagine that? I don't know. If somebody killed my dad, do you think I'd be like, Hey, let's make sure they know about Jesus. They had a passion for their story and the forgiveness that they found in Christ. They would put the past behind them. They would count it as loss in order to fulfill God's plan for them. You know what? That people group responded. And many of them gave their hearts and lives to Jesus. And many of them have their own story about what Christ is doing in their lives and about what Christ is going to do next. And they're excited. You know, when they get to heaven and they see Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and all the other ones, do you think that those missionaries are going to say, well, it kind of costs a lot, so I'm not sure if I'm too thrilled with this. No, they're going to say, this is awesome. It was worth it. Every second, every minute, I would not change it because of what God had. It was so much greater than what we can imagine. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today and we open up our story to you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that you are fully seen in our story. You are fully evident in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. What about you? What's your story? Are some of your panels blank? Maybe you don't have a point in your life that you need to come to Christ and say, I've been trying all these things. I've been trying to check off this. To make God smile at me. And what you're telling me is, It won't work. Maybe that middle change is blank, and you need Christ in your life to intersect your life in a powerful way, in a powerful story. Maybe that third sense of anticipation. That sense of desire to see what God is going to do next in my life. To count all those things as lost and to look forward to say, I desire to be conformed to the image of God. That's what I want for my life. And it's what God wants for my life. Today, I want to straighten that out. I want that passion that anticipation in my life. Maybe God is challenging you to share your story with others. You know, we have a group that's going to Thailand and they're preparing their stories, their testimonies about what God has done in their lives. Where they were before Christ, how they met Christ, and where they are because of Christ. Maybe God has changed to put your story into those panels, to be able to explain your story to someone else, because God has a story for that other person that's beyond what we can imagine. It's beyond the good that we could desire for their life. God has a greater desire for their life. This morning as we stand and sing and worship God together, maybe that's one of those or a decision that you need to make. Maybe there's something else that God is speaking to you about. I think about Baptism. The opportunity to share your story with the world. To declare, this is what Christ has done in my life. If you have a decision that you need to make, you can come forward. We can pray about it. We can see God working in your life.